Hello and welcome to Subclass Act, a solo role-playing actual play podcast. I'm your host, James Schrall. Hello and welcome back. It's been about a month or so since the last episode. It's been, frankly, a bit of a crazy month with the kids not wanting to sleep and therefore me not having a quiet space to record, and then me not getting any sleep, and then me being tired constantly. Which is good stuff. (laughs) Uh, So I'm probably going to start recording early in the mornings, which will be a bit of an adjustment, so hopefully I'll be able to make that change and get on a more regular schedule. Because I, frankly, am excited to see what happens next, and I hope that you're here, because you're excited to see what happens next. Mostly everything's going to be the same since last session, but I have... Uh, I couldn't hold out anymore. I finally bought a physical copy of Old School Essentials. And so I've made the minor conversion to uh, use that rule set for the game. It's very similar to to Basic Fantasy, and I still love Basic Fantasy. I think Basic Fantasy is an amazing game. I think that um, Old School Essentials is very popular right now for sure, but rightfully so. It's a really well-constructed book. It's satisfying to hold in hand. But for the purposes of doing the podcast, the bigger reason for me wanting to use Old School Essentials and make the switch for this um, over Basic Fantasy is just because the layout is, frankly, best in class. It's extremely well laid out, and I need any any particular topic is easy to find on the one-page spread, and unfortunately, that's one of the big areas that suffers um, in Basic Fantasy is the layout is... Uh, it's it's a bit strange for my for my taste personally. One of the biggest things that'll be helpful for me um, is the the saving throws are there. I know that's a big contentious thing, so I don't want to get into that too much. But the biggest thing for me is when I'm looking through the monsters as well. It has their saving throws in there, as opposed to saying it saves as a fighter level two or whatever, and then I have to oh, I can never seem to find that spot in Basic Fantasy again. And and it's not a big deal in a normal game with other people because you can more easily bookmark and stuff, but when I'm doing the podcast, I need to be able to look it up super, super quick and get the answer right there so I can stay in the same kind of headspace as I'm recording. So I've done that. It's a very good game. Uh, old School Essentials, I highly recommend it. Um, but, you know, the price of free is pretty good too for basic fantasy and the physical copies are sold at cost. The good news is all of the other stuff I have, like the Equipment Emporium and the Fantasy Guides, that's just super, super easy to convert. It, they're almost, almost the same game. There's only things that changed a little bit, uh, where there were a couple saving throws that were slightly, ever so slightly different. And there's one big difference uh, for a, a current character and another big difference for a character that's trying to be rescued. Everybody's pretty much the same except for Aneth, uh, because Old School Essentials uses race as class, which Basic Fantasy does not. And so I moved, I, I could have, you know, taken some from each and kind of made a halfling thief class even though that's not one of the basic ones it's very easy to make classes and stuff for this um but i decided to make aneth more of a halfling because she hasn't been much of a thief per se the whole time she has been a little sneaky um and actually that's exactly what the the uh racist class um is for the for the halfling in old school essentials anyway so that kind of works out so she doesn't have some of the same thieving skills but she can still hide she doesn't have the sneak attack bonus but she gets one big big advantage there which is that her hit dice instead of being four from a thief are now a d8 so i re-rolled anna's uh hit dice so now she actually has a very comfortable nine out of nine hit points uh so it'll, it'll change the thing and i think in in this in the frame of the story it, it'll make kind of sense because She's been kind of work, you know working through things and working and working through. She hasn't really been the th- sneaky thief type, and I think as her courage kind of swells as she's been 
growing closer together with the party that she's she's growing stronger in that way um but yeah so i'm, I'm going to be using old school essentials for this part of the game i'm also going to continue to use mythic so without further ado let's get straight into it let's go ahead and see first on our mythic chart if there's any sort of scene that interrupts the this current scene with the first scene uh just again as a recap last time they they did find chibuzo in the desert the uh, rightful ruler of the tribes native to this this desert planet and he, they, they found him in the middle of this evolved corporation uh, outpost that they put out in the desert which was the final straws he was gathering his armies and he displayed that he is able to at least to some degree summon and control these purple worms which come and bore out of the the desert and just swallowed large swaths of the camp and several of the evolved corporation team alive forcing the rest of them to flee into the, de the desert uh, into an area that for them is a complete and utter death trap. Uh, so now the party has been heading back into the city. It's a two-day journey back. Um, normally uh, they have an expert there, so it will uh, definitely, I'm not gonna record for them getting lost because this is the expert um, in, in navigating here. Uh, so it'll take definitely two days since they're following him and we'll see whatever else happens. So. That is the opening scene, trying to uh, re-enter the city um, from the desert. So let's see if there's any interruptions. As a reminder, for those who don't remember how this works in Mythic, our Chaos Factor, which went down before because uh, because they were with Chibuzo, the party was essentially in control. The Chaos Factor's gone down to four. So I'm gonna roll a D10 and see if the value is four or under. It's a one, okay. So because it is an odd number, it means that there is a interrupt event, so it's it's not a random, a completely random event, but it does mean there's something different than there was before, and it's usually the most obvious thing. So, uh, what's slightly different than what works? Like? I guess we're expecting, really, they're, uh, they only, you know, they passed a group, uh, headed through the desert, and, um, of, like, the armies that he's amassing, so we would expect, you know, potentially to see some of them on the way back, um, and to head straight... Uh, to head straight back to the city. I, I think that's kind of what they're expecting. Maybe there is... Uh, maybe Chibuzo says that there's one more stop that they have to make. That's what I would think. Is we think they're going straight back to the desert and they start to walk back and um, uh, Joyce looks at Chibuzo and says um, uh, Pardon me, but I I think that isn't... Well, I don't mean to presume he's, and then Chibuzo laughs a little bit and says out with it. Joyce looks at him and says, Well, I, this isn't exactly the direction that we came in. Aren't, aren't we heading the wrong way if we're trying to get back to the city as quickly as possible? Chibuzo nods, knowingly, uh, with, a, with a bit of a grace, uh, knowing that she means no offense to, to question his skills uh, in tracking. He says, Yes, we, we had one more stop that we must make before, before we head back. Joyce and uh, Aneth and Thurston kind of look at each other a little bit uh, because they they're a little uneasy because they, they want to help they do they, they know they've been charged to help as part of the repayment for the the beings that kind of control this uh, this world here for preserving and in, in whatever manner that they do preserving Joyce and, and returning her but at the same time they are anxious to try to find warder and Iris as well. They don't say anything, though, I don't think, but they 
They are just a little uneasy, and I think Chibuzo notices this, this, and he says, I know that you have. there's been a lot required and asked of you. I, actually, that's a good question. So as he, he says that, does that mean he somehow knows? Like, does he know where they're from, or know... Uh, you like know this sort of bargain that's been struck uh, you know has you know it seems possible because he's talking you know he serves these 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 desert beings um and it, it would seem possible and even likely maybe that that he would know somehow so we'll go ahead and say on uh chaos factor 4 we'll say it's roughly 50 50 or so that he would know already about them uh 72 yes so he does know uh, he does know about them. So they kind of look at each other, and he, he laughs, and he says, um, Do you not think that I, I commune with the spirits and the spirits of the desert itself? I know that you are not from here, and I know that you... This is not your na your normal fight, but you have done so much courageously, and I would ask only that you, you stick it out just a little while longer. If you help me in this... And then I will help you, send you on your way. And Joyce says, So you're the one who, are, are you the one who will send us on, on our way? So that's interesting, like, will he actually perform some sort of a rite that does this, or will they be whisked away? Um, I think maybe it's it's probably 50-50 that he says he'll, he'll be the one who actually performs this rite, whatever it is. Uh, 30. Uh, no, actually, so it's not. He says, um, he says, no. I bet it is beyond my power to send to send you to a different realm of existence. And he laughs a little bit. Like, but I can certainly take you to those who can. In fact, where we are headed is the same place. We're, we're headed to the same place now as you will return. So we will stop we will stop here where I'm taking you. And then you, we will you will help me back into the city. And when we are done there, you will return to this place, and it is at this place that you will cross into whatever the next one is that awaits you. So, they continue traveling, uh, traveling through the desert. So let's go ahead and get into old school essentials a little bit. Let's find uh, some of our uh, wandering monster kind of tables. And what I really like is it's right here. It's repeated right here in the end paper. So I just have to open the cover. And see, so this is kind of what I'm talking about with the podcast. That's just the tops. Uh, so if I go and look, um, so we're not doing the uh, losing direction. I'm going to roll for, uh, I believe it's, um, uh, it says, well, actually, I'll just show you one of the things that's really nice about this. It's very procedural in, in the rules here, the way it's described. So it's a sequence per wilderness day. Party decides course of travel, losing direction, which I said, I'm going to rule that we're going to skip that here because we have the absolute expert on this. Uh, weather, so we could roll for weather if we wanted. Uh, there's not a ton of weather here in the desert. I think it would rely on Mythic for that in this one instance. Um, wandering monsters, uh, and then it says description. The referee describes the regions past, and then the end of the day it says update time records, rations, so on and so forth. Um, rest. So I think um, this is super helpful for me to keep things a little bit more procedural. It's one of the things I, I really like about it. Uh, so I think let's start with uh, the wilderness, and we'll start with we're going to skip losing direction of weather here and use the wandering monster table. So there's uh, barren, desert, forest, and hills, two and six. So I'm going to roll a d6, and if it's a one or a two, they'll encounter some sort of a wandering monster this day. It's two. So we do encounter something. So now let's find some tables. This is fun. So let's find the wandering monster tables. 
So one you know, again, one of the other nice things is there's a really good index, index of monsters, spell, and so on. So we will find wandering monster tables for the desert. Let's see, wilderness. Encounter by terrain, page 206. I normally cut this part of the, out, uh, the audio out, I just pause it and resume when I find it, but I wanted to show how quick it is because I've already found uh, some of these tables. So we'll go ahead and, um, and do this because this is kind of fun. Just so you can kind of see how these tables work. Even like I said, I normally cut these out, but I'll leave it in and see what you think. So first we have a D8 roll here uh, for the section on desert. So we'll roll the D8 and it'll take us to another table, like a sub-table, more specific of what we encounter. So first is the kind of a thing that we encounter. Uh, two, which is an animal. So then we go to uh, D here, which is uh, wilderness account desert. And then um, we'll roll on this table here. So it's a desert animal table basically. And this is a D12. So we can exercise all the dice, which is great. D12s get so lonely. Okay, so we're gonna use the animal, um, the animal column. Ah, I can't keep it in the dice tray. A seven. So, ooh, okay. There's some sort of a hawk. Um, so I don't, and, and this, so that you know, one of the other things here is that not all wilderness encounters of animals means that they're gonna is gonna be combat. There's gonna be fights. So let's see, what's the hawk about? Because that could be interesting. That's really cool and evocative here. Uh, so one one sixty seven here. So this could be, yeah, it could be interesting. So they're, as they're traveling through the desert, they've been wandering for several hours. Chibuzo barely even breaking a sweat. This is nothing for him. Uh, it is a bit for the party to do, but he is able to move them fairly swiftly um, as they're able to avoid any of the drifts or the dunes. And, and Chibuzo just cuts like a knife through the desert. So high in the sky, they see uh, this hawk. Let's make it a giant hawk because why not? Because that's rad. Because uh, things that are giant are automatically cooler. I'm just kidding. Uh, so, okay, let's see. So it says swoop, carry, prey. Yeah, those are very hawk things to do. So I think one of the things we can do here is so that they see this giant hawk that comes down. It's been circling in the sky, and it makes the loud, like, scree sound, um, which sounds way more intimidating in my head than when I said it just there. It sounded very whimsical. But imagine this very fierce hawk scree, and it comes down and swoops and boom lands on the desert and some of the sands flies up in either direction uh, from them. Chibuzo remains fairly still. He stops walking but remains seems fairly unfazed uh, whereas the the rest of the party is definitely uh, gonna be more intimidated here with the potential exception of Shale because Shale, Forrest, and Corbin are still along here as well. Um, so let's see kind of let's maybe get into let's look into like maybe a reaction role which is another thing here that is uh, kind of in um, basic fantasy, but again, is more accessible at being in the end papers here. So um, let's see where that would be. Here we go in the back end papers. Uh, so sometimes you can do roll reaction before or after, or sometimes it's the first. You know, there's there's different procedures written in the book, but again, we can we're still making rulings like we did before. So I'm going to start with the reaction roll here because I kind of want to see what the intentions of the hawk are because it doesn't. It doesn't strike me as the kind of thing that's just going to randomly attack a large group of people in the desert. That doesn't seem like a wise thing to do. Um, and I don't see... I didn't really see on there uh, for the hawk, really, that it's going to travel in groups. Um, because they're they're more like solitary hunters. So let's go ahead and make a reaction roll. We're going to use whoever's walking in the front, which I wasn't really tracking, but since Joyce was the last one to speak, um, so she's been kind of up in the... We'll say she's kind of been up in the front with Chibuzo. 
Uh, Thurston has been taking up the rear, and Anna is sandwiched in the middle. So, alright. Let's look. So she is going to have... Um, I, I, you can, yeah, you can use the charisma modifier. So this is charisma modifier of interacting PCs applies. Uh, so we're going to make a 2D, it's a 2D6 roll. And we'll see what the outcome can be. So the reactions, seven. And then Joyce has a zero modifier on her charisma. So seven is neutral or uncertain. So uh, the, the, the hawk kind of lands down and I think uh, it's... It would be neutral and certain, like, why would he even approach the, the party to begin with? And especially if it's uncertain, I think it's it's probably hungry and it's starving for one. Um, and maybe it has an injury as well. So let's ask the oracle, uh, does this hawk have some sort of an injury? Let's say 50-50. Chaos level air factor 4. Uh, 93. So no, in fact, uh, not only does it not have an injury, but this is like, this is a hawk in its peak condition like this this being a giant hawk so if it wasn't before it certainly would be a giant hawk now is oh okay I, I think here's here's what it is I think that there is this hawk lands here it's kind of uncertain it's incredible shape and and Chibuzo kind of bows to the hawk a bit which looks a little strange and and Aneth looks and says excuse me Chibuzo if you don't mind me asking what are you doing and he looks back at her and kind of just like makes a motion and like gestures that they should bow as well. So hesitantly, the party and Shale, Forrest, and Corbin, they all bow to the hawk. And then um, Chibuzo makes these uh, like hand gestures and this like hand signal, um, hand, uh, sign language kind of uh, with the hawk. And then the hawk responds in kind by um, making different like uh, chittering and bird sounds. And then Corbin chats back and forth, or not Corbin, uh, Chibuzo chats back and forth a couple times with the bird. And then he eventually turns around to the party and says that um, this this hawk, as you can imagine, is not just any hawk. And Aneth's eyes are already really wide. Like, I mean, you gotta imagine that like a, a hawk is already like not that much smaller than Aneth being a little halfling, but a giant hawk, I mean, a giant hawk seems like they could just grab a halfling and just run off. Um, so she's definitely intimidated. I mean, not, Thurston's definitely intimidated too. He's definitely never seen really anything like this. Um, and Joyce, of course, for sure. But uh, this giant hawk lands and uh, they're listening, but the party is also very skeptical. Chibuzo says, um, I know this, this may seem intimidating to you, but you may be still. This, uh, this hawk here, and the hawk is still kind of fidgeting uneasily, this is the great hawk of the desert. It is the king of all of the desert hawks. You see, there it, it is tough to survive in the desert, and just as I am the leader of our tribes, this hawk here is the leader of his tribes. So I think we have some semi-sentient hawks here. Um, maybe not in some ways unlike the eagles in Lord of the Rings, except for maybe not as, like, proud in a different way um chibuzo says that it has been it has been a long time since one of our people has been able to communicate with the hawks they normally we normally go our separate ways and we normally we we do what we must do to survive and they do what they must do to survive but this hawk has come here knowing of the dangers 
that is facing us in our city and is skeptical. You see, to us, he, it, he, he realizes that it's people that is doing this to the planet, but it's not always easy for them to distinguish between us desert people and the Evolve Corporation that has moved in, just as it is perhaps difficult for, for you to distinguish from one hawk from another. So he has come in, in search of potentially an alliance, for which he is uneasy. I believe that I've done my best to uh, dissuade the hawk of his fears, but he must be respected. One, because frankly he's, he could, I think he could take you, small one, and just fly off with you. He laughs a little bit. Says, but two, the hawks here in the desert, those who survived, have earned our respect. And certainly, this king of hawks deserves your respect. So the hawk, uh, again, fidgets for a little bit, and then takes off. And then Chibuzo says, I'm not 100% certain whether or not they will come to our aid, but we have certainly done the best that we can, and continues to move on. They wander through the desert just a little bit more uh, until they come up to something. And now I'm going to use the mythic tables here to get a little bit of inspiration to see what they're headed towards. Uh, so what are they looking for? We'll use the action and subject on the oracle. 20. Truce. 33. So we also have doubles underneath. Oh, I guess that's not really a yes or no question. We, we could use this as an event, but we'll leave it here. I got, I got so excited for a second. Uh, so, lies. Truce and lies. Truce, lies. Okay, you know what? I, I think I know what we have here. So, uh, the, probably the most famous of lies of the desert. As they crest one of these large dunes, and, and they're walking over, and the sun is beating down on them, they see in front of them an oasis, which, uh, you, you know, several of the several of the party wipe their eyes, <laughs> kind of like in all the movies, they wipe their eyes to make sure they believe what they're seeing, and, um, Thurston looks at Chibuzo and says, Is this some sort of a mirage? Ah, uh, perhaps, perhaps to some it is. But you see, this is not any mere mirage. Certainly, if you were, if you were not with me or you didn't know what you were looking for, you would see this and then continue walking and never find the, the oasis that you, that you see with your eyes now. But if you know where to go, and he kind of takes a very specific path, uh, which the party studies. He takes a very specific path through the dunes, and then reaches out underneath the sand and hits something, some sort of like a pressure plate. Um, and then the party keeps walking, and all of a sudden, it's like things. The environment starts to change, change around them. Like all of a sudden, they're walking. They're starting to see greenery, a, a bit of greenery that they didn't see before, as they're sort of this. Uh, this oasis, this like a bubble space, I suppose, I suppose, within the desert here. So you have to know how to get into it. Um, otherwise, you could literally walk right through it and never, never come in contact with it. So this is almost like a little pocket bubble dimension sort of thing, if you will. It's not like a full different dimension, but it is this hidden kind of. This is almost like an elf-like thing. This strange oasis that they walk into. Uh, so they walk here and. Um, uh, Chibuzo says, Please, take all that you need. Waste not your provisions for today. And so, party's able to go grab, they're able to grab food, and they're able to grab water, fill, fill all of their supplies, 
Um, there's certainly plenty around here. There are uh, lemon, lemon and lime trees. Um, there are uh, various other kind of fruits here uh, that they're able to grab, and certainly the water is refreshing and, and greatly needed. Chibuzo kind of sits at the edge of this water pool that's serene, blowing barely in the, in the, in the wind that blows through uh, this, little, this little mini oasis here. Then uh, Joyce kind of comes up and says, "I'm sure that there's, I'm sure that there's another reason for us coming here. Surely we didn't come here just to resupply. Although we are grateful, of course, and it is a wise move. But, and then she kind of trails off, and, and Chibuzo says, "Yes, you're, you're quite right. You see, this, this oasis is a gift. It's a gift from the spirits of the deserts." where our peoples and they entered into an agreement, a truce, a pact, where we would learn to respect the desert and they would in turn uh, teach us to survive, teach us to survive in the desert and in fact thrive in the desert. It is a mutual respect. And so in a way, coming here and and, and drinking the water here and, and eating the fruit from the trees is I suppose a form of communion with the spirits of the desert. It is here is one of the closest places and one of the most sacred places for our people. And as, as she looks around, Shale is just aghast. Uh, he's probably heard of this place, uh, but never really seen it before. Let's, let's actually ask, uh, has he seen it before? It seems uh, somewhat likely that it, he would have seen it before. Uh, 64, yes, so he has seen this, he has been here before. Um, maybe they make uh, like routine kind of pilgrimages here uh, once a year or, or more. So they spend some time here uh, topping off their supplies and, and getting ready for uh, the battle that will remain ahead. As they're safe here, they fall asleep here, protected and being in this complete security for the night, waking and feeling refreshed in the morning. Okay. As they awake, we're going to go through the procedure again, the wilderness procedure. They got one more day's worth of travel, so they're going to continue to head back towards the city the way they came out. Uh, again, we're going to skip the losing direction. We're going to skip the weather because it's a desert, and and this is a you know a, a very consistent desert. There's not going to be big floods um, here, so we're going to see if there's any sort of wandering monster encounters. Again, so let's go ahead and do that. So desert is uh, two and six. One. Okay, yeah, there is some sort of another encounter. So we'll go back to our random encounter tables and see what we find. What do they encounter today? D8. Two. Okay, so they encounter another animal from the same from the same table. Perhaps they'll find another ally. Or perhaps they'll find an enemy that they must contend with. Alright. The animal column here on this D12 table. Eight. Okay. They encounter a lizard. It says specifically a gecko. Well, that's certainly super cool. Let's go to the index of monsters and find our page for it. These pages just feel so good in the hands. Lizard gecko. It says a five foot long carnivorous nocturnal lizard. Uh, light blue scale. So they would see this, this lizard perhaps first thing in the morning. That would make the most sense. Light blue scales with orange spots. Uh, so they climb walls, trees, etc., and, and drop on victims, it says. So let's go ahead and do, I think we're going to do uh, any sort of reaction rolls. 
Uh, there is a number appearing on here, so we'll do it. It's a d6 for the number that would be appearing. These large carnivorous geckos, which is super rad. So there's five of them that appear. Uh, there's not really anywhere for them to drop here, so I don't think they'll be able to, to do it that way. So they're wandering through the desert again, and then I think what it is in this case is these, these desert geckos uh, kind of shimmy the sand off of them, and all of a sudden they appear out of nowhere. The party is surrounded by these five geckos. So we're going to do another reaction roll. Uh, again, with, I think, for the party specifically, I think Joyce is going to be at the front. So we're going to do 2d6 reaction roll here. Okay, that's a 7, so it's an, again, it's another neutral and uncertain uh, uncertain thing here. I'm going to see, is it neutral and uncertain because of numbers or because they're, again, uh, sentient trying to make some sort of an alliance? I think it's maybe less likely that there's an alliance, uh, but it's certainly possible. So I'll say it's unlikely on, on Chaos Factor 4. Um, are, uh, yeah, I mean... Yeah, so let's say it's unlikely in Chaos Factor 4. Are they here to try to make some sort of an alliance? 63, no, that is not what they're here for. I think they're uncertain because of the presence of Chibuzo. They can sense something different with him, and they're frankly incredibly outnumbered. Um, yeah, so they're uncertain, and I think uh, uh, Chibuzo is kind of looking around uncertain, knowing that he, does, he doesn't make, want to make any wrong, any sort of wrong moves here. Uh, and I think since that she's been able to rest and rememorize, uh, Joyce has her ventriloquism back. So let's look that spell up and look at the description again. Okay, so she casts her ventriloquism spell and throws her voice. Uh, I, I think she's going to throw her voice from uh, behind a big group of the geckos coming out of the desert, making it sound like it's coming from nearby, just beyond, so that they perhaps they'll be... Uh, startled uh, and scared off with the sound coming from behind them if they're already uneasy about the situation. So let's say, uh, let's say on Chaos Factor 4, we'll say it's, uh, we'll just say it's 50-50 here. Do they choose to run off because they're already, already uneasy? Do they choose to run off? 47. Uh, so on Chaos Factor 4, that is a no. So no, it's not enough. It's not enough to scare them off. Um, but it is enough to give everybody time I think to prepare. So I think we're gonna enter some combat here. So we're gonna roll some initiative. Again, we're gonna use group initiative, which is more or less the rules. Um, here there's optional uh, individual, but just like with BFRPG, I'm gonna stick to individual because there's just too many people that I'm tracking here. And, and I haven't statted Shibuzo, so uh, if it comes up, I will uh, find some stats that hopefully makes some sense for him. All right, so let's get into this. We're gonna roll for the party and then we're gonna roll one for the geckos. The geckos will be the, the dark die here. The party is the yellow die here. Six. Okay, so the party goes first. Uh, so that's a lot of people to go before these geckos. So we've got five of these geckos. So let's go ahead and take that down. All right, and I think it makes sense to, to treat Chibuzo as a noble as well, stat-wise, if anybody's curious. All right, so first things first, uh, Joyce has kind of acted kind of out of combat. That's what's led us uh, fully into combat. So I think first things first is she is going to um, try to uh, to keep close to Chibuzo, so she's going to try to avoid uh, fighting at first, especially especially if she can help it. So uh, first up in the group, Thurston steps up uh, with his uh, with his scimitar and takes a, uh, a whack at the closest uh, the closest to him. They have an AC of 14, so I'm using Ascending Armor class to keep it more consistent with what we were doing before, and he has a zero attack bonus. All right, so now we've gotten all the numbers out of the way. Let's get into it. 
So he needs to roll, he's got a zero strength bonus, unfortunately. So he needs to roll a 14 or a higher. Rolls a seven, so he takes a swing and just isn't quite able to connect with the uh, with the closest lizard. Uh, then next up, I think Aneth is going to uh, try to take a shot with one of her. She has a short bow, um, and halflings in this in old school essentials are especially good. They have a plus one to hit missile bonus, um, which is certainly good for Aneth here. So she's going to take a shot at the same the same gecko. So let's see, yeah, AC fourteen, so she needs to get a thirteen or higher in this case. A 10, so just not quite. She's able to shoot, but it goes just a little bit wide. Uh, next up uh, is going to be, I think Joyce has decided that she just, she can't, she can't stay out of this fight for any longer. She just has to do what she can to, to make sure that they survive. To that end, she decides to cast Shield. So for two turns, uh, she will have an AC of 17 against missiles, and against uh, other attacks, AC will be 15. So mainly the 15 is what will matter here. Now, uh, next up, really, it's going to come down to our NPCs. So I will find they'll probably just be veterans because they they'll probably just use the veteran stats. Um, I have no idea what I was using for them before. Doesn't really matter so much. Veteran makes sense here. Low-level fighters often on their way to or from war, which makes total sense for them. I've already got their health uh, health scores from before. So Shale is still at six out of six. Forrest is now after resting for that for that uh, day is up to five out of six, and Corbin is back up to six out of six in points. All right, so Shale is going to try to swing. I think they, we just gave them short swords last time, which would be a d6. Um, and here uh, they don't have any sort of uh, bonus here to hit, so we're going to go down the line. Shale is going to swing at one of the lizards closest to him and to that group. He rolls a ten. That's not enough. Forrest is going to do the same. He hits a 15, so he is able to connect with his short sword, and he is able to deal two, uh, two damage here to the... Uh, well, actually, it says they do 1d8. This, that's my bad with the, the stats here. So let's re-roll that damage just to make sure that I'm consistent. All right. So seven damage, which is a much bigger blow. Uh, all right. So... Hits, he's able to connect with the one lizard, making a wicked crack across the small of its back with this with this sword, cutting uh, and gashing it deeply. Uh, with to it, with it, it shrieks out in pain. All right, next up is Corbin. Is going to do the same. Going to try to swing at. They're going to try to group up on this one carnivorous gecko. Is he able to connect? Uh, Eleven. That's not quite enough. Uh, swings wide. It's it's injured, but it's uh, it's still pretty quick and able to dodge out of the way of a sword. Next up uh, is Chibuzo, who is, again, the, the noble. Uh, he actually does have a plus two to hit, uh, and he gets to attack with his weapon. So he's going to swing at a different uh, a different gecko, which is just uh, the one closest to him. He rolls a five, which plus two is still not enough. Not enough to connect. All right. Uh, next up, we need, we're going to roll uh, to figure out who these geckos are attacking. So uh, we've I think we've got three main groups. First, we've got the regular party, Chibizo, and then Shale, Forrest, and Corbin. So uh, one or two is going to be the party. Two, uh, three or four is going to be Shale, Forrest, and Corbin, and five or six is going to be Chibizo. All right, three. So they're going to attack Shale, Forrest, and Corbin, or Corbin, and I'll just roll uh, and one to two Shale, so on and so forth. You get it, Forrest and Corbin in that order. So it's going to attack Corbin. Okay. So uh, these lizard, uh, lizard geckos. 
they have a plus three to hit. So these are very, very dangerous looking lizards. Uh, so they, he, it, one of them goes to bite uh, Corbin, which is this, this first one here, as it's shifted over. Uh, seven, which will not be enough to connect with the veteran uh, AC of 17. All right, on to the next one. It's going to attack which group? It's going to attack the party. Uh, we're going to go Thurston, Aneth, and Joyce in that order. It attacks Thurston. Uh, so the next one has shifted over to attack Thurston with plus three. Ooh, a natural 20. Oh, that's not good. Because uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to... Uh, the, the way I'm going to handle the, the critical hits here is um, there's a couple ways you can do it. You could do it with just the damage and give it uh, like a narrative bonus. Um, some people like to double the damage on the dice. Um, you could also potentially max out whatever die they're rolling for damage um and uh you know you, you can max out the die and then add another one for for the bonus um i think the way i'm gonna handle it here i think the way i'm gonna handle it here is i'm just gonna roll the damage dice once and and double it uh adding any any other random bonuses afterwards uh so yeah this is this is not good for thurston so they do a d8 damage and it's gonna be doubled uh, I will also use a, ro a rule consistently. I'm going to use it all the time in these games that I really like from the OSR, which is called Shields Will Be Broken, which Thurston does have a shield. So if he's going to take some sort of critical damage, he can put up a shield and, and I can allow the shield to be completely broken and be useless uh, and, and shattered and uh, completely destroyed. Uh, and that will stop the damage. So it's only like a really a one-time one time kind of a thing here. So, all right, let's see the lizard. How much damage does it do? Seven, ooh, that's 14. That would be enough to certainly kill Thurston outright. So we're gonna uh, sunder his shield so he no longer has a shield. And so his uh, armor bonus goes down by one since he's no longer gonna get the benefit of the shield. So the lizard jumps up uh, and is about to just go right for Thurston's throat when he managed to get the shield up at, at the last second. Um, I am still gonna probably give him 1d4 damage because it was a critical hit. Um, so I'm gonna do a lot of like 1d4 damage to go. Um, for just him falling down. So he still takes two damage here. All right. Have to be careful of the, one of the things that's attempting in, in solo play is to be way crueler on yourself than you would ever be to your players. Uh, and maybe I'm doing that here, but who can say? All right. That was the second gecko here. Whoo, this is dangerous. They may have to, they may have to really get out of here. So, uh, yeah. Uh, next is the third one. It's going to attack the party and it's attacking... Joyce this time. That is super, super Mondo not good because she also does not have any sort of shield or anything to protect her. Uh, yeah, this is pretty bad. The party probably should have run. You think at this point, after almost having a total party kill in this show, I would, I would have learned by now, but I may not have learned by now. <laughs> so we'll see. All right. So uh, let's see how much it's going to do some sort of damage uh, potentially. So it's going to attack her. Uh, she has a 15 AC right now, so that's hopefully casting shields could be enough. Eight. Whew. It is enough. So it, it, it managed to evade um, and bounce off the, the magical shield that she has surrounded herself with. All right. Next up is the fourth gecko here. Uh, it's going to attack the party, and it's going to attack uh, Aneth here. So it scurries over to Aneth. She has an AC of 12. Okay, three. Yeah, definitely not enough. Man, we're getting lucky here. 
I'll never fudge any of these dice rolls, so like I'm whoo, sweating over here. All right, last one is going to attack the party again, attacking uh, Aneth again. All right, AC a 12. Whew, 13, yeah, so it's gonna connect. She has no sort of shield to block any sort of damage here. Uh, fortunately, she has nine out of nine hit points, so she can't be killed in one shot, but this is still not that great. All right, D8 damage on Aneth. The gecko comes over, biting Aneth for three. So she's now down to six out of nine hit points. Okay, yeah, she's taking a pretty pretty big bite. I think uh, even Chibuzo is is getting a bit nervous here. Uh, I think there's, there's something just that would be a cool thing in the story that I want to check to see if it happens, even though I think it's unlikely. And I'm going to check to see if it happens. And if so, I'll reveal it and otherwise. I will not in this particular case. So on Chaos Factor 4, I'm going to say it's unlikely, but certainly possible. We'll see if it's going to happen. Six! Yes! Okay! It does happen. All of a sudden, uh, the the giant hawks, um, the giant hawk that we saw before and several other of its hawk compatriots come down, swooping and attacking, uh, attacking the geckos, giving the party time to get out of here. So just, just to say I'm not, you know, you could fudge things if you want a little bit, not dice rolls, but you can get the story how you want it uh, if it's a solo game, because it's your game, right? Because it's a podcast, I'm trying to stay a little bit more true. So just to say how unlikely it was, Chaos Factor 4 on unlikely, it was a 20% chance that it'd be yes. So it's not, not that big of a chance. I say unlikely because they were just there making this alliance with the Hawks, and I think narratively it, it, it's really cool that the Hawks show up. This is the way that they show that, like, all right, we do trust you, and, uh, you know, they they realize that they need the party to do what they're on their way to do just as much as, um, as you know, as the, they, this party, the party needs the Hawks right now in this moment. So the Hawks swoop down, and they uh, I'm not going to continue the combat here. There's just way too many elements of play. I think it's just enough that the party is able to dash off, uh, evading the lizards for now, uh, with the Hawks potentially, potentially getting a meal, but at least protecting the party that they need to protect them when it comes to this great battle that's coming. It's a really cool moment, so we know for sure that the Hawks are on their side, which is which is really great, because it would be really unfortunate to, you know, have the Hawks sit it out, because it's just, I don't know, there's something so cool about giant Hawks fighting for uh, fighting with you. That's just super cool to me. So the party's able to, to skate by uh, Aneth uh, nursing this bite from this... this uh, this lizard, it's its certainly a, a painful bite, uh, and fortunately, Chibuzo was able to help her uh, to bandage it up, um, but she is going to definitely need some to get some rest uh, to get back up to steam here. Okay, party continues, and they are about to enter the desert. They, they've managed to make it back. They've managed to rest and recuperate and commune with the desert spirits in the oasis, and now they're headed back into the city to finish the fight. Once it's done... It'll really be up to the party to to go back to the oasis, which, in some way, will bring them to the next the next reality that they must uh, get to to rescue one of their previous party members. Just barely managed to managing to escape these giant lizards, and we, we almost lost uh, <laughs> Joyce and Aneth here. We've got some some pretty close pretty close calls here. So, uh, fortunately, the party is still intact. Who knows what'll happen though? If the if the dice are unkind and we lose a party members, nobody is nobody is beyond the the roll of the dice. So that's where we're gonna end the session tonight. 
Thank you so much again for joining me. Um, it's absolutely roasting in this office, so it's really good for role-playing the desert part, but uh, hopefully it won't be it won't be as hot next time. Uh, thanks again for joining, and I hope that you've been enjoying the story. Please feel free to call into Anchor and to give me any sort of feedback that you have, uh, any any questions that you have about the systems or any of the other systems or any of my other plans, um, you know, other oracles. I've, I've tried out a couple uh, a couple oracles. Uh, it did Mune for a couple times for a listener, which is a very good lightweight uh, oracle here. Um, there's some other games I'm considering potentially doing for one of the other realities um, or I may just reskin old school essentials and keep going with that. So I'd love your feedback if you have an opinion on that. Uh, some of the games kind of in the running potentially for one of the other realities. If you're interested in these are uh, potentially soloing uh, with Troika, which I've been into a lot recently. It's strange and bizarre and wacky and, and wonderful if that's what you're into. Um, also, uh, Savage Worlds, uh, which I just, uh, recently picked up, uh, the newest, uh, newest version of Savage Worlds was generic. So I have some ideas for a little bit weirder side, like things where there's not going to be a specific game system probably for that kind of universe. And that could potentially be cool with Savage Worlds. Um, frankly, I picked that up from me, myself and die, which is an amazing YouTube show that everybody here should watch. It's an amazing show. I probably mentioned it a million times on the show so far. Uh, another one that's uh, potentially in the running is Dungeon World, which is a Powered by the Apocalypse game. It's kind of if D&D was Powered by the Apocalypse. I'm a big fan of Dungeon World, and then not everybody is, but I really like it. I've had a good lunch game with colleagues. And um, the the last one kind of in the running, I'm open to others, but the last one I have here that is in the running for one of these other universes is uh, Index Card RPG, which could be uh, interesting to solo. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Colin, let me know if you have thoughts on that. Again, on oracles or any feedback. Uh, hearing from you is is all the payment I get for the show. It's it's a completely free show that I do just because it's it's fun for me to do. I'm gonna try to get more regular episodes going. Hopefully, I can get into a consistent rhythm. If if you can all it all be troubled. If you are enjoying the show, if you could do two things for me. One, if you could uh, leave a rating on any whatever you listen to your podcast on, uh, whether it's uh, Apple Podcasts or iTunes or whatever it is, uh, Google Podcast, Podcatcher. Uh, podcast addict, any of those, if you wouldn't mind leaving a, a rating or review, it would really help, especially because if you're enjoying the show, that'll make it easier for other people to see and find the show. Uh, and lastly, if you're enjoying the show and you think a friend would like it, uh, let your friend know. And then that way, that way they can hear my, uh, my wackiness on the air and they can see the strange thing that I'm doing, playing games by myself in front of my computer, which isn't weird at all. It's completely normal. All right. Anyways, I'm rambling. I'm tired. I'm a sleepless parent. I need to get some sleep. Thank you so much again for joining me on Subclass Act.